Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 43 of 2021. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have my co-host, Brian Deach, who has been working out like a madman. Hey, uh, week two post-COVID, I'm 100% sure I did not die because I drank hose water as a kid. That's a life pro tip if I've ever heard one. And Glenn Medina, I hope your stomach's feeling better. Everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 30. Happy to be alive after last week of feeling totally under the weather. And speaking of weather, who turned the AC on? It has been cold and balmy up here in Northern California. Yeah, say that again. This week for our 30th episode, we have a very special guest who I've been trying to get on the show for months, Jasmine Patel. Jasmine, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, well, the honor is all mine. Um, I'm Jasmine. I have the pleasure of working with this crew at Zscaler. Uh, I came in on that COVID wave a bit about uh, a little over a year ago and, you know, very much enjoying the ride. Uh, I guess as much as you can enjoy a COVID-19 pandemic ride. Did I hear that correctly? You brought COVID? To Zscaler? <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome, world. Woo, woo. Welcome, Jasmine. It's good to have you on board, man. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, it's been over a year, and I don't think I've ever met you in person, and you you live in the next city over from me. Yep, yep. It, time to change that, Chris. Anti-social yeah. club. <laughs> Fun fact, I did Jasmine's technical screening here before she joined us, and after I spoke with her for the very first time, I knew she'd be an amazing fit, and that's one thing I'd like to be proved right on. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic, I thought we'd talk about what's the most awesome and the least awesome thing about working in tech. And for me, the least awesome thing is you become everyone's de facto tech support. You know, my elderly neighbor is always calling me about her computer being slow or the, the Wi-Fi not working. And, you know, I actually don't mind helping her out. Like there's just so many scams out there targeting elderly people who are most vulnerable. And it's better than that I help them than some scumbag overseas trying to drain her bank account. And I think the most awesome thing is I know how things work and I'm pretty good at fixing things when they go wrong. I would say probably my, my least favorite thing is trying to explain to people like what I do for a living because they just kind of like watch their eyes gloss over. They're like, yeah, I'm sorry I asked you. <laughs> and I don't know if there's really anything <laughs> awesome about it other than just being able to do what I love and getting paid for it. So, you know, kudos to that. There's something to be said about somebody trying to explain it. And that's sort of what they talk about having an elevator pitch and having it be relatable. Yeah. Uh- yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I've, I've got the same problem, right? My kids tell my kids tell everyone, what does your dad do? And they go, I don't know, he works on computers. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't work on computers. <laughs> then you get the, hey, so I've got this problem on my, on my, on my computer. Can you help me with it? It, it? it makes this weird noise. And I'm like, yeah, that's not what I do. So uh, yeah. Uh, and then of course, like Chris said, uh, being the tech support for my family and the extended family, is oh so much fun. It's like, hey, can you help me uh, reset my Wi-Fi because I don't know what the password is. You gotta love those, right, Jasmine? So, 
Well, you know, I think it's pretty sweet to be able to reset your own Wi-Fi. So there, there's a there's a bit of a pro there, you know, um, and and not to be too dramatic, but like I think security is having like a bit of a, like a renaissance right now. So that's both like the best and worst things of it. You know, we're just like exploding with creativity, but then like we never get a day off, therefore. So yeah, that that's kind of like the most exciting and kind of the worst part about working in tech for me, I, I'd say. Yeah. One thing I did say when I when I get close to the end of retirement here, and I can't see the end of the tunnel here, right? Because my my youngest has just entered college, and so I think I put a timer of another five to six years. Is that I told myself, and I tell everyone, it's like I am totally going to give up my phone my smartphone that is right i am going to go if if you need to get a hold of me i'm going to try and find a flip phone if they're still available and if you need to get a hold of me call me because i will not be looking at text messages i'm done at that point no one's going to contact you glenn i think i love it that's awesome he's going to be in a rocking chair on a porch somewhere and it's like uh it's good to own land yeah that's it Perfect world, yeah. No, not nothing, right? Just either sitting on the beach yeah. or you know staring into the wilderness. One of the two. Yeah, thinking about what I'm going to eat next. Yeah. <laughs> there's a. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but there's a some comedy guy sketching. Like I forget what it like the entire setup, but the the long story short is he's like he's like women. If you can't explain what your husband does for a living, then you are a serial killer. And I think there should be an asterisk to that because. Uh, for the network people or the, you know, like what we do in life, like that's a, you know, a little bit different. So, so wait, hold on. Women, you, if you can't explain what your husband does for a living, he is a serial killer or you are a serial killer. He is a serial killer. Oh, yeah. he is a serial yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Or he works for the CIA. Who knows? You know? Yeah. But I think you'd have a better cover story that you can, yeah. He sells insurance. Like, yeah, something simple, a good cover story. <laughs> Be like Chris's yeah, wife and says that he works for the State Department. So, <laughs> you know, and Jasmine, to your, your your statement of like, you know, the boom of technology and creativity, I would like, I just wish I can go back to the days of like uh, being able to run Cain and Abel. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just remember uh, in my apartment common tools. Well, one of my favorite things to do is I would uh, set up uh, Wi-Fi in my um, early early days, like set up Wi-Fi at my house or I'm sorry, at my apartment, and then go knock on the doors and be like, uh, hey, if you want free internet, I got it for you. Like, you just plug in this little USB stick, and you're within close proximity of me, you get free internet. And then I would just sit there with Cain and Abel and sniff passwords all day long. <laughs> uh, it was it was good times, man. Bring it back. Social engineering. Yeah. The simple times, right? Yep. And Glenn, you, you brought up an interesting point too, Glenn. Uh, I had this conversation with my parents because they, they like to travel, you know, pre-COVID, they travel, they cruise a lot, they're retired. And, and when they would meet people, people would ask, oh, what do, what do your kids do? And you know, my, my sister is a principal. And if they say, well, my, she's, my daughter's a principal, everybody knows what, what that is. And when they say, well, what does your son do? And they're like, um, I think he works for one of those Silicon Valley companies that starts with a C. Uh, it might be Cisco. I think he works at Cisco. He does something at Cisco. And yeah, that was uh, that. That's always an interesting conversation because yeah, it, it, what, what we do is generally not understood by lay people, but I, I think more so now that it's getting into the mainstream news that that people know. It's like, oh yeah, my son he stops ransomware from happening. Like, oh okay, I get it now. I think I would just assume be like an Amazon delivery driver than work for Cisco in any capacity. That's just me. <laughs> Fair enough. And on that point. <laughs> For our first topic, I want to talk about the Dutch. 
The Dutch has always held a special place in my heart when it comes to the cybers because it was allegedly a Dutch intelligence officer who smuggled in the USB flash drive into the Natanz Iranian nuclear facility to spread the Stuxnet malware, which ultimately derailed the Iranian nuclear program for years. The Dutch have been relatively low-key in their cyber offensive operations. They're not even included in the Five Eyes countries for intelligence sharing. However, make no mistake that they are on the forefront of the battle against cybercrime and should not be discounted. Adding on to the awesome reputation the Dutch have against cybercriminals, just last week, their Minister of Foreign Affairs, Ben Knappen, said that any ransomware attack against the Dutch will result in cyber retaliation, but may also include military retaliation, depending on the severity. This is an escalation in the cyber wars from Western Europe. Previously, we've seen kinetic attacks against Palestinian cyber attackers by Israel, but not by a Western European country. They are so fed up with the cyber attacks going on right now that they're not afraid to elevate them to military force. The Netherlands reserves the right to use military forces to avert enemy action or protect essential interests of the state. I wish we had that type of bravado here in the U.S. Maybe our gas supplies wouldn't get cut off, or my hamburgers for 4th of July wouldn't be in short supply. Then again, we saw what happened in Afghanistan, so maybe sending the U.S. military to kidnap Boris or Pavel may not be the best idea at the moment. I like this approach that it puts not only ransomware crews on notice, but also the countries who harbor them. At some point, a ransomware crew will attack critical infrastructure and cause so much noise that their host country will have to choose between giving them up or facing some kind of military retaliation. So I never would have thought like the Dutch would be known for that. Like I just always thought they're just like known for being like the tallest people in the world, cycling and their love for cheese. So that's cool. Good for them. And don't forget and windmills. Tulips and windmills. Yep. And weed. They're the ones that started the weed propaganda, right? Back in the day. Oh, I didn't know. I legit. thought that was I thought that was, was William Randolph Hearst. It was always legit in in uh in in, in Holland. So so fun fact, and I don't need you guys to incriminate yourselves, but I have never done the weed. I don't even know what that really means, or smoked it, or whatnot. I was I was always just that square, like, and I always felt like it was too much of a control freak that I went. I don't want to relinquish control over my thoughts to anything. So I'm one of those weird people that's never done it. So when people ask me, like, what do you think about it? I'm like, I don't really know. Like, some people think it's cool. Some people think it's a gateway drug. I'm just on the fence over here. Why are we talking about weed? Never mind. That's because you're high on everything else, Brian. You are just high on life. There's no <laughs> need for, 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 for any other drug. To, that you, that you, you don't need to take any other drug. That's it. Yeah, so, so help me out here, right? So it just reminds me of things like, you know, the board identity uh, where you've got a bunch of hackers sitting in some, some warehouse someplace and the, uh, the, uh, the, the CIA is able to stoop on them. And they see uh, one of their operatives come up, um, she pops up, and then they're able to track that back and they actually can shut down power to that location. I, I can't imagine that these things go on and we just don't know about them. It's just what are the deep down stories, the secret stories that are going on behind the scenes, right? I think every, every country has their own level of cyber warfare that's going on. The question is, you know, are the best ones the ones you don't know about or the ones that you do know about? Yeah, I think, um, in my opinion, you know, like I was saying earlier, these are like terrifying times, obviously, but pretty cool times. Um, and in this case, probably more towards the terrifying times side of things. 
Um, it's comforting, obviously, that countries are starting to get involved and they're putting a little bit of backing behind things that we're seeing are like critical infrastructure level, you know, warfare, right? These are like sometimes war crimes, you know, so when I, but when you start seeing things like intelligence services, arms, you know, armed services, ransomware gangs, like this is, you know, really escalating this to this like pretty scary place, you know, I was like, doing a bit of research uh, yesterday and I saw this article. I thought it was clickbait. It said senior cybersecurity official at Pentagon says he quits because we have kindergarten level security practices. Our AI is kindergarten compared to Chinese uh, security. I thought it was clickbait, but no, he posted it on LinkedIn. Um, so it's just it's one of those things where, you know, I thought we would be kind of up there security levels. Um, but no, apparently Netherlands got us beat. No, we're just saying that, right? Like we're just, the <laughs> Chinese are like, oh, we're so far ahead. Meanwhile, we're in there, baby. We are already hacked. The Chinese. We're just pretending to psy up the campaign. I'd love to be wrong about it. You and me both. Although I do think that I'm wrong. <laughs> I think we've always had hack back capability. I think even uh, uh, Mandiant before FireEye acquired them, uh, they got outed in in a book recently of actually hacking back the Chinese. Even though technically hacking back is illegal. So I, I know what happens. U.S. Cybercom, they all hack back. I think the interesting part is the, the kinetic response, because if you if you launch an airstrike uh, in the Gaza Strip, like you can tell who did it. Like You know where the plane came from. You know where the missile came from. There's radar. There's satellite imagery. Like You know who, sh who fired that shot. But if somebody plants a piece of malware inside a nuclear facility, you always have that attribution problem. Like, was it the Iranians? Was it the Russians? Was it the U.S.? Was it the Israelis? And there's all these these false flags that you can set up. Uh, so I think the kinetic part of it, may, there's no doubt in anyone's mind who who did it when when it's a kinetic response. And I think that's an escalation in, in what's what's going on. That they're just saying, hey, if you mess with us too much, we will send in troops. We will send a missile down your chimney. We will bomb the crap out of you. How long until we just say, you know what, like this whole physical warfare, like just screw it, right? It's just, it's too destructive. And, you know, cyber warfare, it's stupid. It's, it, it too is disruptive. Like, how about we just do like a Fortnite battle royale, like winner take all. All right, boys, where are we dropping? Like, just like run some duos or something like that. And like Iran versus China one day, like, or maybe just like all 100 different countries, right? Or whatever you can actually, you know, muster up. That'd be pretty wild. I like our odds in that fight, I think. I know. All of a sudden, Ninja is like the uh, the, the war leader for us. <laughs> like, or Tifu. It's Ender's Game. This is, the, this is the plot of Ender's Game. Yeah. Well, if the game is StarCraft, then then we're in trouble by the uh, South Koreans. Because, no joke, they are ridiculously good at StarCraft. Well, you know what's going to happen? They would just hack the game. That way they drop a little bit quicker. The You know, whatever happens. So... Let's go back to the old days. I don't know what that means. That's but what let's we go need. Back. We need like a we need like a cyber League of Nations. Like start with the League of Nations, eventually led to the UN, and uh, that's what we need. Something you, like that. You heard it cybers. here first. We're changing our name to League of Nations. Pepcac, join now. <laughs> All right, on to our next topic. I thought our next story was an interesting evolution in the fight against ransomware. Several ransomware groups are beginning to retaliate against organizations who hire negotiators to help them navigate the complex process after they become the victim of a ransomware attack. There are several reasons why ransomware crews hate these negotiators. 
First, negotiators lower the ransoms paid. Negotiators are there to ensure that every party is happy or at least the minimum amount of anger, and that often means lower ransom payments. At least to me, the flip side of the coin is that it's a double-edged sword, and without the negotiator, they may not get any ransom in the first place, but I digress. Professional ransomware negotiators are often up to date on current laws and regulations, and they know which groups are officially sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, and a negotiator may warn a victim not to pay the ransom to a sanctioned group. The other reason they don't want negotiators is that sometimes they leak the ransom negotiations online, or they tell the victim to upload a virus sample to VirusToll after the fact. That gives away key details of how the ransomware crews operate and gives additional information to security researchers who are always trying to tie groups together and find attribution of who's really behind these attacks. When samples are uploaded virus total, any security researcher with an active subscription can download the sample, which oftentimes has a unique link to a web portal on the dark web where the negotiations take place. Having this URL gives insight into the detailed negotiations that take place between ransomware victims and their attackers. Lastly, leaking the negotiation URLs also gives rise to internet trolls and the ransomware crews cannot tell if they're speaking with the actual victims or 16-year-old boys from Xbox Live. One ransomware negotiation went like this. Ransomware crew, you violated our agreement not to try and recover your files, but we see that you have hired a data recovery company working on your network right now. The alleged ransomware victim responded, the only thing we violated was your mother. <laughs> Where do you right. go with that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, looking at that, that's all right. So you have to ask yourself. In this scenario, are you going to be the attacker? Are you the negotiator or are you the hostage? Um, or, in, quote, unquote, the, the ransomware victim. I would see myself playing the the role of the ransomware victim and just talking crap. <laughs> like, yeah, your mom, dude. Like, whatever. What about you, Glenn? This is funny. If I, if I look at this and, and think it's... I, it's like, why are you even bugging me? It's like, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything I can to to, to get my data back. So, yeah, I'm with you, victim. So, yeah, whatever. Your mom. I'm just trying to get my job done. Jasmine? Well, especially like with, you know, cyber insurance, things like that growing, right? This is going to be mandated. So how long can they really enforce this? You know, negotiators are going to have to play some kind of role. These insurance companies aren't going to start coughing up the money. So... They're gonna have to figure it out. And these 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 ransomware crews also state that it, these are new rules. So they say, you know, going forward, new rules. If you leak our URLs, if you hire a negotiator, we're gonna immediately destroy your data and dump your your data online. And they even said if if somebody paid the ransom and paid not to have their data published. But somehow the, the the negotiation get leaked, like they upload it to Virus Total. They said they're gonna destroy and dump the data of another victim. So they're they're still somewhat keeping their word that says if you pay, you know, we won't publish your data. But uh, they're gonna punish somebody else. So it's, it's sort of that guilt feeling that said, "Oops, we we kind of messed somebody else up through our <laughs> through what we're doing." But that's not like holding a gun to someone's head and says, "Hey, you you pay me, or else I'm gonna go shoot Brian." Like. I love you, Brian. <laughs> Good luck. And they're probably gonna—they're probably gonna attack someone else, anyways, right? Might as well not be me. I think yeah. I'm with you, Glenn. What was that? The joke from the office? Like, if I was in a room with Glenn, 
uh, Bin Laden and Hitler, and I had a bullet or a gun with uh, two bullets. I'd shoot Glenn twice. Yeah, right <laughs> yeah, back at you, brother. But... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, like I, I, anytime I listen to all of these ransomware things, one thing that always seems to kind of pop up is the whole like insurance thing, and like, like I, I perceive myself to be kind of a you know a bright individual. But I really think that if I was smart, I would just open up an insurance company and sell like some, you know, crappy insurance to people in case they ever get hacked. I think that's like a, that's a no brainer. Maybe I should just quit and go to work and do my own thing. See you guys later. I'm out. Bye, Brian. I'm back. I'd say the opposite is actually true. Uh, a lot of these insurance companies and financial companies saw this as as something lucrative. That says, yeah, let's we'll sell cyber insurance. This was a couple of years ago. I said, yeah, we can make a lot of money. And they're they're actually seeing a large exit of companies now offering cybersecurity insurance because there's there's just no way to predict it. Like you can predict a flood zone, you can predict a fire zone. You can say there's a two percent chance that there's going to be a fire in this area in the next hundred years. You know, a uh, million dollars of insurance will cost X amount. Like we have hundreds of years of or at least a century of data to to back that up. There is no precedent for any type of cyber attacks. How often are cyber attacks occurring, what's the cost of a breach? You know, why was Colonial Pipeline in the you know hundreds of millions and, and this other ransomware, the damages from this ransomware attack were only in the, the tens of millions. Like there's there's no modeling that you could do to be able to predict and keep it profitable. Well, there is, well, maybe not, right? <clears throat> so there was a, a C-level uh, executive, um, I won't say the vertical, but he had made a statement publicly that, uh, you know, to the Middle East, he's like, I think we should just, you know, nuke it and make it a parking lot. And like within 45 days, right, like that entire organization was owned uh, out of a country. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe you just look for wild statements like that on LinkedIn and then start targeting like, you know, insurance and be like, hey, you, you know, it's going to happen. Right. Like he not only did you fire this dude, but something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, and, and just like when you're buying home insurance, like if you have a sprinkler system, you get a discount. If you have a fire department within a mile, you get a discount. If you have a monitored alarm system, you get a discount. I think cyber insurance is moving in that direction too. That says if you have EDR, you get a discount. If you have security awareness training, you get a discount. So I think they're starting to adapt more like actual insurance that we're, we're used to. But just the modeling of it is, is so unpredictable. Uh, it's not a business I would get into. If Brian wants to get into it, more power to you. But I think it's going to be challenging to be uh, profitable. All I know is I have a fire hydrant on my property. So egg on your face. Yeah, that little blue tab in the middle of the street that tells the fire department there's one there. I do, yeah. It reflects both ways, by the way. All right, on to our, our next topic. Our next topic is not new, but it's still interesting. Just like phishing or spamming, the concept's not new, but the tools, techniques, and procedures are getting more sophisticated. One of the easiest ways to secure accounts is to enable multi-factor authentication. In fact, it's one of the most recommended methods that organizations like CISA, Homeland Security, and the NSA recommend to prevent things like account takeover. The concept is simple. After a user enters their username and password, a user must enter in a one-time passcode, which is sent to them through a text message, a phone call, or generated by an application such as Google Authenticator or RSA Secure ID. This makes account takeover much more difficult because it requires both something you know, your username and password, 
and something you have, your authenticator. One of Brian's favorite pen tests and red teaming tools is Evil Jinx, which he talked about on episode two, where there's an out-of-the-box toolkit which will set up fake login pages to steal usernames and passwords, then redirect to a fake one-time password page to seal the one-time token. The user gets redirected to the actual page, or this is this page is under maintenance page after they give up the token. With those two pieces of information combined, an attacker can gain unauthorized access to the user's account. Evil Jinx is not too difficult to set up, but it still requires some level of technical skill and social engineering to get the user to click the link. The rise of phishing as a service is what makes this interesting. There are groups out there who specialize in stealing one-time tokens for an attacker, relieving them of the responsibility of setting up a tool like Evil Jinx. This service already assumes the attacker has the username and password, but just needs the one-time password. Username and passwords can be obtained from data breach dumping, uh, credential stuffing attacks, and the like. These services specialize in calling or texting the victim after the one-time password is sent to them to trick them into divulging that information. They use things like PBX spoofing to trick a user into re receiving a phone call which looks like it's from their actual bank, and after the service steals one-time passcodes, it's automatically sent to the attacker's Telegram account. This type of attack raises the bar from simple swim-swapping swim attacks where an attacker clones or switches a victim's phone number to a phone they control to intercept the SMS one-time password. Has anyone here actually ever like opted for the, the phone call for the MFA token? I know I haven't. No, I, I haven't. Know. Gwen loves phone calls, though. Phone. I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine those? Yeah. It's like, here's your 16-digit temporary code. You're like, um, or shoot. Sorry, Chris, wait, you're going to have to edit that one out. <laughs> I did. I did do that one time with a. Uh, I think it was Microsoft when I was trying to redo my licensing on one of my Windows machines. But it was a one-time call. But that was just to get the the twenty hexa alphanumeric hexadecimal whatever number that they give you to come back to input. But not 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 for anything financial. Well, one 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 time you do use it. I mean, I had flown into Hong Kong. I needed to use my debit card, for example, right? You don't necessarily have data, have phone service in Hong Kong, but if you connect to Wi-Fi for calling, you can get your code that way. So I did use it, actually. I take it back that one time. Because in that case, you know, when you don't have the ability to receive SMS, but you can do a phone call, then it's kind of your only option. Yeah, it's good to have a backup option. That, that might be one of the reasons, <clears throat> one of the reasons that exists. Um, I think Ben talked about it when he was on when you're on an airplane as well, you can't get SMS codes on an airplane, but maybe if you have Wi-Fi and you find some way to make a VoIP work, you could potentially receive a, a phone call that way. That, that's actually two sides of that, right? So if you have an iPhone like we do, unlike Ben, Ben has an Android, you can't get <laughs> SMS text on a plane. But iMessage works just fine. So yeah, I can get my one-time codes on a phone that's connected to the Wi-Fi just fine. Just maybe not Ben. <laughs> It also assumes the service um, uses iMessage too, because like yeah. when my bank sends me an SMS code or a, a two-factor code, it always comes out comes through as text. So I don't think I'd be able to receive it anyway, even if I had mm. Wi-Fi. So what kind of phishing attack would you guys actually fall victim to? Because I feel like as men, right, it's it's always the same thing. It's it's something that might be adult-specific, trying to get you to click the link. You're like, not today, right? I received. 
I received one, like I didn't even know it was a, an actual phishing scan uh, on Sunday while watching football. And I got a text message and it was like, hey, it, it's so-and-so, um, you know, we, 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 we talked together in Bumble and um, is this Steve or something like that? I'm like, uh, number one, like I didn't really pay attention to it. Uh, and I was like, oh, I think Bumble's like for, you know, alternative lifestyle. So, and I'm not that guy no matter what. <clears throat> so I just wrote back. I'm like, uh, I got the wrong phone number, bro. And then next thing you know, it comes in. It's like, I got a picture of a girl and she's like, oh, well, do you want to chat? I'm like, what the heck? No, I don't. Like, leave me alone. So uh, they're getting a little bit more sophisticated. So for the record, Bumble is the female empowerment dating app. So it is for <laughs> me. I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's traditional. Da- it's a traditional dating app, but the women have to make the first move. So it's, it's like a female empowerment app. I think you can actually do Bumble for friends, too, if you just want, like, seeking friendship, <laughs> you know? Bumble for friends. Great. A friend zone app for, for men now. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Bumble. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I make my own friends the, 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 the old way. I go to a bar and introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Glenn. But... <laughs> that sounds horrifying, Glenn. <laughs> it does? <laughs> I got, like... I am straight tripping on. So we have like a this this. Jeff, are you going to Costa Rica with us, or did you? Uh, no, unfortunately not, not. Okay, well then you don't have to be there to see the awkwardness of what will be Brian Deach because I feel like I I I I am seen more than I see people. So outside of like Chris and Glenn, like I don't really know anybody. So I'm I'm so worried that people are going to come up to me and be like, "Hey, Brian, how's it going?" I'm like, I don't know who you are, man. So. Me and my wife already have like a game plan. Like she's just gonna like intercept them as they come up. Hi, I'm you know. Hi, I'm Corey. How are you? And they're like, I'm Steve. You're whatever their name is. And then people are gonna be like, Let's go over here and have a beer. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to drink with you. Like I don't know how to say no without being mean. I just want to like. Uh, I'm in another country with my wife. I want to go hang out with her, but you are here, so uh, it's gonna be just plain awkward. You guys are gonna, not gonna miss out. No offense, Chris or Glenn, who will be there, I guess. <laughs> Brian doesn't want to hang out with you. Yeah, apparently not. Well, you know. First we'll, time we'll, we'll see you in like two years. Yeah. Oh, geez. The the world's tiniest violin playing. It's fine. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't think I'll be that awkward around you two, to be honest. Should be a good time. Unless like you guys do something like wild, like your your wife's like, hey, let's go burn an American flag. I'll be like, wait, what? I don't know if I'm on board with this, guys. <laughs> be really hard for my wife to say that, seeing that she served five years in the Air Force. So, yeah, I don't think you'd get that from my wife. Okay. So you're off the hook. What about you, Chris? Yeah, low, low incidents of that happening with, with yeah, Chris, does family. your wife love America? Yeah. <laughs> you guys passed the friend test. Yeah, this one, this one Chris, I really, I really enjoyed this article um, because, like you said, not something new, but the the kind of new part of it is really interesting because it's like a new, you know, teach your parents not to fund the Nigerian prince type of moment that we're having. You know, I almost like kind of wanted to like pause what I was doing, call my parents and say, like, don't do this because like you can kind of see how they would, you know. I think they're just learning how to do two-factor and then if someone calls them, why wouldn't they kind of give the code? It's not just like, an. I don't think it's an inherent thing people might know, so... You know, Pepec team, you guys are doing uh, pretty good work. You're doing the good work here. I, I tell my mom and dad all the time. I was like, there's no one going to call you 
ever from an official company to ask you what your password is or what some number is. I was like, just hang up. So, yeah. And I tell the kids that too, so. Yeah, well, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so we're, we're doing a, a public service here. I'm not even too sure you're my mom. Just go ahead and click the link. <laughs> <laughs> there are some pretty convincing attacks on, on how to get that, that two-factor code, because I remember reading an article a while back that said somebody would call, they would send the code, and they said, yeah, yeah, go ahead and call your bank, verify it, call the number on the back of your card, and then at the same time, the attack would be, calling the bank at the same time and and it's very elaborate but they somehow convinced the bank to tell them yeah it's okay to give this code or give me the code or or, or something but it was a pretty elaborate scheme that the attackers called the victim and the bank at the same time and the bank said yeah yeah we're we we have this person on, on the phone with us right now and they yeah read them off the code and they got they got owned that way um, it's it'd be easier ways to make money I, well, if there is, you gotta you gotta educate these attackers uh, to to knock it off and and go do something more productive with their lives. Well, there's also the uh, the man in the mobile phone too, right? Which is uh, doesn't work really on iOS, but it, if you have an Android device, uh, you can fall victim to it. So the idea there would be, let's say you're signing into Wells Fargo, and they're number one, they've already hijacked your browser, right? So they have an an in. So as you authenticate. Before you're prompted with the, hey, the, you know, do your one-time password, uh, they say for additional security, go ahead and scan this QR code with your phone. And so, you know, grandma or your mom or maybe even possibly Glenn, right? He's like, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to scan. Or no, we'll pick on Ben Bailey. Ben, who owns an Android <laughs> device, is like, all right, I like this. I love QR codes, right? And he scans it and it installs a piece of malware on the phone. That way, when he goes to... Uh, you know, say click, you know, click, I click OK. I've uh, installed the application on my phone. Uh, they completely hide the, the OTP um, request in the Wells Fargo window. And then the uh, OTP is sent to the mobile phone. The mobile phone with the malware intercepts the text message before Ben can even read it and forwards it over to the attacker. And then boom, they're in. So that is, uh, you know, creativity at its best. RIP to Ben. What an idiot. Just kidding. Love you, Ben. <laughs> like R.I.P. Ben's bank account. Yeah, no kidding. Another reason to, to not have an, uh, an Android device. It's like, do you guys ever feel like you just like you don't want to talk to the person when they have an, uh, an Android? You're just like, oh, hmm, all right. I used to be what, excluded I... from so many group chats just when That's... I had an Android. No one would want to group text me. So I'd just be looped in at the very end when the plans were made. <laughs> that, that's exactly it, Jasmine. It's like you're part of the, you're part of the collective with the blue message, or you turn green. I'm like, I'm never inviting that guy, that person again. <laughs> and then you end up on Bumble for friends to find new friends, and then it's a whole cycle. It all comes full circle. We, what if that's no, a, a a qualifier for Bumble for friends? Must have Android phone. <laughs> Put that in your filter. <laughs> All right, for our last topic, and it's going to be a rotating topic every week, this week is going to be about Windows 11. Windows 11 is finally out. We've got our nice rounded corners. We have our start menu in the middle of our screen now. Are you guys going to update? Why or why not? So I, 
I was watching a, I saw a meme, not watching, I saw a meme the other day and it was basically like, hey, I upgraded to Windows 11 and it bricked my computer and then it, you know, there's a shortage of chips so I can't go get a new chip to go upgrade and use Windows 11. It was, it was kind of this parody of like, go ahead and upgrade and you'll never be able to use Windows 11 because of the, all the requirements around it and, and the chip shortage. So I don't know. I, I haven't tried yet, but I, I was just laughing. I can proudly, proudly say I haven't touched a Windows computer in like a decade. So, yeah, I'm not going to upgrade <laughs> anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I don't even know what I would upgrade if I if I wanted to. There's no systems that would, would take it around me. You guys don't have a That's virtual machine or a, a, a Surface book? Anything? Nothing of that nature? No? No, thanks. I have a Chromebook somewhere on power, you know, in some Chromebook. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it she chose chromebook over windows yeah that's that should tell everybody something right now i chose chromebook how many years ago you know that that's it's just buried somewhere in a closet that's all that's yeah. all it's good to you know uh fight intruders so you just chuck it at someone if they break into your house <laughs> if you, you know assuming you don't have a weapon so there were two interesting articles, and I'll link through them here about Windows 11 that I found. And this is why I'm not I'm not going to upgrade. So I, I'm not going to upgrade to Windows 11 at least for for a bit. One, the first story is AMD warns of a 15%, so one five 15% performance decrease on the same machine between Windows 10 and Windows 11. So you upgrade to Windows 11, your machine instantly becomes 15% slower. The <laughs> other article is. <clears throat> Windows 11 has uh, you know, Windows Explorer. We're all familiar with that. You open a window and then you can uh, browse for your files. Uh, there's a memory leak in Windows Explorer. So if you open up 5, 10, 15 Explorer windows and you, you close them all, Windows won't release that memory. And that memory is just stuck until you you reboot. And this was a really well-known problem uh, in on the Insider, Windows Insider program before the official launch. And people are saying, you know, even after the launch, it still has this memory leak bug. So... I mean, I think we've just accepted the fact that software is delivered partially complete and anyone who just upgraded to Windows 11 just proved my point. I I used to be one of those guys who lined up at GameStop on Call of Duty launch day. You know, as soon as I get home, I pop the game in and much to my surprise, I was faced with a five gigabyte update download before I could even play the, play the game. And this is a day one launch and the game required a five gig patch. So, I mean, what do these like devs and QA do in the meantime to make to make launch date like they're they're knowingly sending out buggy software knowing that they're going to fix it later and is this just the reality now like when we popped in a windows 95 cd that was it that was it like it had to be done in final if there's a bug you just live with that bug but but now it's you release partially completed software and you say yeah i'll fix i'll fix it later well they probably feel like you're going to spend the next 90 days trying to get your printer to work anyway so you'll be rebooting all the time they have plenty of time to, to patch it that's why they can send it out partially complete i i just remember didn't you do you guys i thought that was a similar story 20 years ago right with windows 2000 remember when that released where it was supposed to be nirvana and then it was taken out a whole bunch of systems because systems weren't ready or capable because of low i mean uh you know low cpu utilization even though they said there was a minimum bar you couldn't you still couldn't run it on those machines because it would just take like five minutes to click home button and for it just to expand so this kind of seems to be a repeating thing out of, out of Microsoft. Dude, I, yeah. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to share this story. I, I, I was such a believer of Windows 2000 
uh, that I wanted to get all my friends on Windows 2000. So we were doing like this whole upgrade party. And I was just like, yeah, we're going to wipe out all your stuff and blah, blah, blah. We're going to go from 98, baby. And we're doing this. And then like every single computer, like it was not compatible with like it was so much hardware didn't work. Video cards, the modems. I mean, you name it. And I just, I just, just sitting there like, <laughs> all right, well, you got your restore CD. They're like, no, we don't got the restore CD. So it was a very expensive <laughs> upgrade weekend for Brian Deach. Brian, can we dissect that though? What exactly does a Windows 2000 upgrade party look like? What other activities are there? What kind um, of snacks are involved? So oddly enough, it, I, this is when I, I learned actually how to uh, cut African-American people's hair as well. Uh, so I added like, it's a very, very long story. It's kind of weird. But anyways, like an apartment, there's like 12 dudes and they all had computers and whatnot. And so we were doing that. And then, like during the upgrades, that's when I was like, they were showing me like how to do a fade on my head by myself with a mirror. And then I was like, well, I'm gonna learn how to cut your hair. Like you're not ready for this, bro. And I was like, you know what? I think I am. So uh, all I can tell you is buy good clippers because they need to be sharp and they need to have some power behind it. But yeah. I can actually uh, line you up if you uh, needed a, a sick fade <laughs> from the early 2000s. I will right, keep we're you gonna, posted. Our show, our show, our show uh, in Costa Rica is going to be uh, Brian cutting people's hair. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be going to be a, a fade party. party. Yeah, yeah, a fade party. <laughs> <laughs> well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Jasmine is up. Well, you know, <clears throat> since this is a, a cerebral podcast talking about big topics, you know, what I've always wondered, uh, what color is the wind? What color is the what? wind, Jasmine? Blue. Wow. Wow. I, it. <laughs> I was like, because of the sky, right? And then, then I get it. I was then like, Oh, I really joke. tried. That, Jasmine, I'm going to give you that's an that's honorary good. dad that joke right there. That, yeah, that's, that's a very good, good one. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you like uh, phone a, a lifeline to your dad for this one? <laughs> yeah, this this is like a real dad joke, right? Good no, job. I've been saving this since the first time Chris asked me to join the podcast. I was like, I know dad jokes part of it. I'm keeping this one in my back pocket. Thank well you, done. Thank you. Well done. All right. So wrap things up, the Dutch foreign ministry is getting a lot more offensive on cybers and they're not going to take these ongoing attacks. Ransomware crews do not like it when their negotiations get leaked or when companies hire these negotiators. One-time password interception bots are not new, but they are on the rise. And nobody plans to upgrade to Windows 11. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars on the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCAC Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, and our guest, Jasmine Patel. I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jasmine. Appreciate Thank you, you having on. Yeah, if you left a three star, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs>